Hello, dear viewers, and welcome to Campcast, the official weekly podcast of the Campfire Speaking Group. Do feel free, if you are interested in joining the club, to visit the Campfire page on VK, and you can use promo code CAMPCAST21, that's CAMPCAST21, and you will get a free lesson when you buy your first packet. Uh, so my guest today is a lady called Maria, who um, has a page also on VK, all about writing. Uh, she does um, writing preparation courses for uh, CPE, CAE. Um, and so um, Maria and I talked obviously about writing. We also talked about literature um, and, and about um, fiction versus nonfiction, whether fiction is um, a synonym of pure fantasy or whether it's based in reality or whether it indeed it must be based in reality. We talked about uh, funerals and death and birth and life and philosophy and order and chaos and uh, all sorts of crazy stuff so um i also have got to let you guys know that this is going to be uh the last episode in season two um a couple of reasons for that um normally i don't like the seasons to get higher than um you know 11 or 12 episodes and we're already on i think like 14 or 13 i can't remember um so it's just a, a nice natural way of uh, keeping the seasons ticking along um the second reason is that my hair and general appearance with this lockdown and you guys are lucky in russia um <laughs> you're allowed to go and get your hair cut and go to the shops and do all things that normal people do we are still very much locked down in the uk uh we're not allowed to go to the shop uh, go to apart from if you're buying food uh you can't get a haircut as you can uh, obviously see um so I'm afraid uh, this is going to be the last season in uh, the last episode, sorry, in season two. Um, but don't worry, I'm going to get working on season three straight away. Um, for anyone who thinks that this may be an April Fool joke, it is not. Having said that, um, if you are a teacher who's watching this and you'd like to play an April Fool's prank um, on your students, then um, there's a great video, which I'm sure you've seen on YouTube, which is called um, something like How English Sounds to non-English speakers. I don't know if it's exactly that title, but if you type that into YouTube, you'll definitely find this video. Um, and basically it's, um, there's two, I, I guess they're American actors who are acting out a dialogue, but if you listen to what they say, it sounds like English, but what they're saying is just nonsense words. Um, and it's very, very convincing. It sounds exactly like they're speaking English, but you won't understand a word of it because they're not speaking real a real language. Um, so what I did one year, was I put that video on uh, on an interactive whiteboard from YouTube, and then I designed a listening comprehension exercise around it and uh, freaked my students out thinking, and it was like, it's quite a high group as well. It was like upper, intermediate or advanced. Um, so they were quite freaked out that they didn't even understand one word. Um, so uh, yeah, um, don't, don't do it for too long. <clears throat> don't do it for too long though, because uh, yeah, I think your students may be traumatized. Um, so without further ado, uh, I hope you enjoy the season finale and i hope you enjoy um that little april fool's prank that i told you about and uh, i'll see you for season three bye bye now Three, two, one, and Maria, hello. Hello. 
Hello, Mike. How's, uh, how's life with you? How's everything going? It's perfect. It's wonderful. It's very sunny today here in St. Pete. Um, though it looks more like winter than like spring, <laughs> very snowy. Yeah, well, we've, uh, so we've got big news in the UK. Spring is here. <laughs> um, we, we are obsessed with spring. I don't know why, but mm -hmm. we, we absolutely love spring, um, both as a nation. And I suppose this year, more than any other, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've been waiting for spring so for so long it feels like an eternity and i just can't wait for this winter to be gone i mean i'm looking out my window now and it is pretty um vernal outside um you know we've got oh, the daffodils. What's, what's the temperature the temperature uh good question let me let me have a look it's actually it, it went down pretty cold this morning so it's, it's only plus three degrees okay. at the moment so when yeah it was like minus one yesterday so that's a, is that a high pressure system i don't know whatever but mm -hmm. that's like you know in the summer when you get like a really cold morning and then the 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 more the you know the afternoon is really warm i think we're starting to see some of that weather now um mm -hmm. but you know going forward um you know i i don't have to wear a hat outside um or i've um, as the russians say i've opened the season i've opened the motorbike season so <laughs> i can um i you know I've, I've been going out i serviced my bike the other day mm -hmm. and i've uh, been going on some motorbike rides so um that's always always a good sign always a good sign mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but you have a dog right so then you walk a dog every morning and so you can see the changes like the the afternoon and the morning right mm -hmm. that's true yeah fred the uh Fred. Fred Konfetik, uh, um i that's a good point i think people who walk dogs uh i suppose are, are very in touch with uh with nature because you, yeah. you're forced to yeah. go outside every not only every morning but every evening as well and every lunchtime exactly exactly and you see the nuances right so then you can you can you can smell the changes like the the mornings and the the evenings so then they smell differently right Oh yeah, for sure. Well, I've never had a dog, so that's just, I'm assuming <laughs> that's, it, it, it feels like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that's, um, that was certainly true. But I think in Russia, I definitely got the, uh, the feeling that um, spring was something that you smelt more than you saw. Like, because you, you smell it before you see it in Russia. It's really mm -hmm. weird. Um, mm -hmm. I'd say it's, it's the opposite here. I mean, you, you always see the... The thing with the Russian spring is like, you know, this whole like Zapaklovisnoy kind of, you know, <laughs> moment when you can smell spring. The equivalent, uh -huh. the cultural equivalent for us, I think, would be daffodils. Mm -hmm. The first mm -hmm. moment when you see a daffodil, uh, otherwise known as, as the uh, Narcissus plant, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. named after the, uh, the Greek mythologi uh, mythological character of the same name. Um, that's the that's the equivalent for us. When we see daffodils, we're like, oh, okay, uh, spring is here. Spring yeah. has arrived. That, that's a long way, I mean, for us, between we smell and we see the, the, <laughs> yeah. the daffodils. So it's like up to two months. <laughs> yeah. Well, depending depending on what part of the country... Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, sorry, what part of the world you're in. Um, you know, do you know what the speed of the speed of spring is? No idea. So spring has a speed. It's about four uh -huh. miles an hour. Oh, really? Well, let's convert that into kilometers an hour. Hang on. Four MPH in kilometers. Well, that would be about six, right? Yeah, six, six point four. So yeah, six mm -hmm. and a half ish. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. spring How did you moves, come up with it? Spring moves at the speed of six and a half kilometers an hour. What that means is, um, obviously, 
we in the south of England, we get spring earlier in the year. And in mm -hmm. Scotland, they get it. So in Scotland at the moment, I expect they don't have their daffodils. Mm -hmm. And that the, the speed at which spring moves from south to north um, moves at a predictable speed because of the tilt of the axis of the earth and, and all of that stuff. So and it moves at about four miles an hour. So you could theoretically walk with spring because you walk at about four miles an hour right so you could walk on the frontier of spring as it covers the entire country pretty cool pretty cool uh it is it is <laughs> but not as cool not as cool as learning english so <laughs> let's uh let's speak a little bit about that um so uh Maria, if you tell me just a little bit about um i suppose you know your background where are you from what are you all about and um tell me all about this uh, exciting new uh, venture that you've got going on vk well, yeah, um, I'm a teacher of English and um, I used to teach on the general English and well, I've been teaching English uh, with various um, degree of um, intensity for about 10 years, maybe, maybe even more, maybe 12 years, um, but well, originally I'm from Siberia. I'm from Barnaul, and I, I remember I, I used to, to um, yeah, I, I texted you once and told you that uh, I've been to Tumen um, once. Um, yeah, and um, so I relocated to St. Pete about six and a half years ago. Um, at that point, I used to work uh, in a bank, so it had nothing to do with uh, teaching English precisely. So it Which was bank? Um, it was Russian Standard Bank. Very nice. Red, the, uh, is that the same bank that makes the vodka as well, or is that different? Exactly, exactly, Very exactly. Nice. Yeah, Very yeah. Nice. Well, it's not the bank <laughs> that makes vodka, yeah, but yeah, so then it's just uh, an affiliate, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, but uh, yeah, and um, I relocated to St. Pete, um, and um, yeah, then um, uh, I was just made redundant from the band because of those um, um, just troubles that they had with the bank system in 2015. Uh, lots of banks uh, were closed. Um, and um, then I was thinking like, uh, well, um, why don't I stick back to, to English? So I, um, I started teaching again. And well, uh, and I've been teaching um, for uh, the, same, the same school for four years now in St. Petersburg. And um, at some point I thought that, um, why don't I choose something to, you know, like something narrower than, than general English because, well, general is too general. And <laughs> sometimes you feel that, um, you know, you, you can't be equally good at everything. And um, I feel that pressure as a teacher and um, I think a lot of students feel that pressure as students that, you know, they, um, they, they, they feel that, um, some of the um, skills are better, some of the skills are worse. And um, I was thinking, well, maybe if you narrow down somehow and, um, you know, you start boosting confidence in, in one thing and you know that you're doing that really well, so then that can, you know, boost your confidence in general. So, um, yeah, now I, I just opted for writing. So, and I thought that why, why don't I boost my own writing skills first and then help others boost their writing skills and yeah this is this is basically what i'm doing now so mm -hmm. um specializing in, in writing very wise very wise um and if people want to find out all about it where can they go and, and see it 
Um, it's it's on BK. Uh, well, frankly, I don't even remember the the link. What it's called? <laughs> I think no, it's I'll put I'll put a link in the description yeah, when we so publish the, the podcast. Mary Pro writing. So yeah. Mm -hmm. uh -huh, uh -huh. So what sort of um, you said that you're working on your own writing, which um, which I, I I'm right behind you there. I I sometimes I I just sometimes write articles obviously i write articles which i publish like the technical tuesday for example yeah 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 um that's a tough read by the way yeah oh well yeah it's um, it's, <laughs> it's not it's not designed to be um you know just a walk in the park it's um you know exactly. it's, it's technical for a reason mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. and, and i don't yeah, i don't I love it back. i love it well thank you thank you very much for yeah. saying so but you know if if no one as it happens, you know, some people do enjoy them, some people like them, um, some people share them, which is great. Um, even some some teachers make their own listening exercises out of them, like, um, you know, Susanna, mm -hmm. who I've had in the podcast mm -hmm. before, mm -hmm. like she, yeah, yeah, she yeah. made yeah, her own, which, mm -hmm. yeah, which, which is great. And anyone who wants to do that, I'm more than more than happy. Um, but, you know, even if no one read those articles, I, you know, some I just like writing them just for the just for the creative joy of mm -hmm. writing them and i'll do the same like the same reason that i write poems is not not for anyone's consumption i'm not particularly good at it um it's just i just enjoy it i just um you know i just uh, poetry especially because the, the whole idea of prose is to tell a story and language if anything gets in the way language is just the the instrument by which you communicate mm -hmm. um is, is a second order importance um, instrument by which you communicate a first order importance idea but with poetry language is the spectacle itself do you know what I mean and and mm -hmm. that's why that's why I've always said when you're translating poetry when you're writing poetry the form and the meter and the design of this of the stanzas is the most important thing the sense if anything is secondary Mm -hmm. um, and you know i like writing in english and in russian just to just you know for, for the joy of the craft and for the joy of doing it so what, what sort of stuff do you do to um to, to practice your writing well it all started uh, surprisingly <laughs> with the um cp preparation with exam preparation and um i took up irina lutsenko's course last year so it was uh, just exactly one year ago in the end of March, the beginning of April. And, um, you know, I um, maybe I was just, um, you know, very um, um, arrogant, <laughs> I don't know, but um, I was thinking that, well, writing, so then that's uh, just a piece of cake, right? So, uh, well, we, we all know how to do that, yeah? And yeah, you just have an idea and, and you just write it, yeah? Just, you, you put it into paper. Um, and um, it turned out to be, um, <laughs> very um, frustrating, yeah, and um, I, I kept failing, and uh, I think one of my, my first posts um, in my community was my very first essay, um, that um, I was um, you know, you have to keep a lot of focuses, yeah, when you're writing. So when you said, yeah, you have an idea and then uh, you need to think about the language. But again, if it's the exam preparation, so then there are some sub ideas, yeah, that, that you have to, to keep in mind. Yeah. Mm. And with so many focuses. And at that point, I was thinking like, well, if it's the advanced or proficiency course, so then you have to show your uh, proficiency lexis. Yeah. And um, uh, I was doing my best, you know, to stop the every paragraph with some advanced lexis. Um, and I didn't even notice that uh, every sentence started with it, believe it or not, really, like literally every sentence. It shows, 
it demonstrates, it is. <laughs> and um, uh, I was sure that, well, that my essay was brilliant because there was so much Lexus in, in that. And um, when Narina, well, she didn't, she didn't say that uh, explicitly, of course, but she kind of, you know, drew my attention to the fact that, can you see that all the, the structures are the same? And I was like, oh my God, so then th there, is, there is so much to it. So then I need to think about the structure now. And, you know, keeping all those, those focuses um, and um, struggling with that, yeah, it, it just, you know, got me thinking that, well, this is really the skill that you need to, to practice continuously. And um, well, now uh, after I had uh, got my CPU results and uh, I had already taken the test, um, well, I, I was still continuing and um, I'm still doing the, the writing course now, um, not just for the sake of the exam, but for the sake of, uh, of the skill, for, yeah, and for the, for the joy, for the joy of the, the joy. For the joy of the craft, indeed. Do you prefer writing fiction or nonfiction? Well, it's it's hard to say. Um, I think nonfiction because, um, well, again, fiction. What is fiction? So then, it's it's still something based. Well, in my case, it's still something based on my experience. So then, even if it's uh, okay, um, you can fictionalize your character. Yeah, you can say that this is this is not Mary. This is uh, an Apollo. But uh, you know, it's still. Uh, where do you derive it from? So you derive it from your own experience. Yeah. So then, and in, in this mm. way, I think that fiction and nonfiction, um, at some point, um, you know, they, they mean the same. That's um, that's very interesting. Yeah, and that that gets into. Um, you know, the idea of these sorts of, you know, like archetypal stories which have existed for, you know, for example, the, you know, the, uh, the hero narrative, um, the, you know, in the case of, of um, English folklore would be the, the story of St. George, who the, there's a dragon attacking the village and St. George gets on his horse and goes and kills the dragon and he gets the princess and he gets the gold and, you know, this, that mm -hmm. and the other and that, and that's a, that's a story which is archetypally true. It's not true because it's the story. It's all, it's a priori true. And then we just keep retelling and retelling this narrative over and over again. And if you look at any sort of classic hero narrative in, in literature, in culture, it is essentially, you know, whether it's Beowulf, um, whether it's a Superman, you know, whatever it is, it's essentially a retelling of the archetypal mm -hmm. St. George myth. And not that St. George was the first myth. It's, and it's, it's interesting because what your to your point about um you know is like fiction is creative as opposed to non-creative okay yeah but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not based in reality because if fiction had no connection to reality then it wouldn't resonate with us right, right. so when we sometimes when you um when you read a narrative when you read a story you have um a, a collection of of events and characters um which in some cases is more true than the truth do you know what i mean but it's it's really hard to explain but for example um take um a tale of two cities by by charles dickens that's the famous novel that starts with the you know the really famous paragraph it was the best of times it was the worst of times blah, blah. i can't remember the whole the whole paragraph i've never read it unfortunately um, you, you should, you should, especially the introduction to chapter two, when he talks about entering an unknown city, um, really, really well written. 
Um, but the point being that, so that, that's a book about the French Revolution, right? Um, and it's a, so the, hence the tale of two cities. And it, it's about um, essentially like a, a love triangle, which happens in the background of the French Revolution. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and the, you know, it, it's a, it's a simultaneous, it's a commentary on 18th century English society. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about this like I, I have any idea what I'm, I'm no expert at all. I just, you know, I just, I just like the book. <laughs> um, okay. Now, the French Revolution, that's a complicated topic you know, the birth of European liberalism that, you know, égalité, fraternité and liberté or however, whatever, mm -hmm. the, whatever the three words are. Um, when the French people said, hey, that's a good idea. Let's write that down. Um, you know, th th there is no way that you could tell the entire story of the French Revolution with all of its complexities, all of the different characters, all of the, you know, the different events and the subtleties. But what you can do is create a composite character which represents metaphorically French society at that time or which represents you know English conservatism in the 18th century um, and you, you can have them you know sort of metaphorically fight it out and, and have a metaphorical love triangle and that story is then a purified rarefied retelling of the French Revolution in such a way that it's more true than the truth. It's easier to understand mm -hmm. and more digestible. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that that's how that's how myths start. Like, like you, you know, you, you get it all the time with um like hunter-gatherer or fishing tribes. You get this all the time. And what you tend to find, if you see like if you like investigate something like a, you know like a tribal African mythology, let's say that this is a tribe that does a lot of fishing, right? very rarely do you find that they've just got a set of rules this is how you fish this is how you make a net this is the best fish to catch this is the best place no what you'll often find is that in their folklore and in their fairy tales there is um you know and the the, the the tale of the hero fisherman the ideal fisherman again it's the mm -hmm. saint george myth um and all of this cultural wisdom and the every generation understanding how to make this fishing net better, how to build a boat correctly, all of that is just amalgamated into one character, the hero fisherman. And then quintessential. Exactly. Exactly. And then using that myth, then wisdom is passed on down the generations. You um, there's a reason that these stories are still with us. They are they're ancient, ancient wisdom, and we we've got to um, got to take them very seriously, wouldn't you say? Probably, probably. Mm. Well, uh, I think that uh, what you're saying is that uh, the, um, so, you know, by exaggerating, sometimes by exaggerating the truth, yeah, you, um, you kind of get to, to show what the truth really is. Yeah, because uh, if you, um, like, if you, if you tell the, the real truth, which is um, not that um, powerful and not that impactful, so then maybe the, sometimes the purpose, yeah, and the, the idea of these um, fictional stories is to exaggerate, but uh, not for the sake of lying, but for the sake of, you know, getting it to people's hearts and minds that it mm. becomes more impactful. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's right. And that's, that's what we're saying when we say that, you know, fiction isn't, is not the same as pure fantasy. Fiction is rooted in reality. How could it not be? It must be. If it's not rooted in reality, then, you know, what is it? It doesn't mean anything. Um, yeah, very nice. Are, are you, um, are you like an avid reader? And also an interesting uh, technical point. Do you think that 
good writing comes from good reading or is it more complicated than that? I think part of it, part of it is true because, well, um, at least with, um, with teaching, I remember uh, an example that one, one teacher gave uh, and he said that all teaching is just stealing, that uh, you steal from each other, yeah, like uh, you, um, you steal from other teachers and uh, as writers, I mean, writer, not uh, profound and uh, well-known writer, but uh, we are all writers, right? Because we, we do that uh, on a regular basis. So um, as writers, we steal. Uh, we steal phrases, we steal uh, structures, we steal metaphors and similes from, from other writers. So uh, partially, yes, it, 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 comes from, it comes from reading because um, as um, I remember some of the guests who were here in, on CampCast, they were complaining that they cannot read um, for, you know, pure joy, yeah, because when you're reading, you're constantly underlining that, oh, that's, that's wonderful, oh, how he put that, yeah, that, mm. that's amazing, that, that's, that, that's what I do, yeah, and um, it's hard for me to, to read in English um, because of that, yeah, because I'm underlining and uh, I'm just jotting down, you know, the, the phrases and the words. Um, mm. Yeah, you know. yeah, I, I know exactly how you feel, I, you know, I, I think the, the first book that I remember reading um, in, in Russian, when I stopped doing that, when I stopped trying to underline stuff and I just like you, you know you know when you're watching a film in English right or in any foreign right, language right. and like if you, if you try the harder you try to listen paradoxically the more difficult it becomes mm -hmm. what you need to do when you're watching a film is just as of course you know is to allow the language just to wash over you like a wave and understand whatever you understand and anything you mm -hmm. don't understand mm -hmm. just let it go Mm -hmm, let it mm -hmm. go what you think that if you if you try and concentrate on that sentence from five seconds ago oh that's that's going to help no don't think so um the same thing i would argue is true about enjoying uh, enjoying a book now i'm not saying understanding a book i'm saying enjoying a book um of course you need to understand as well but i remember the first book that i did that with was uh, the gambler by uh dostoevsky uh -huh, uh -huh. and um dostoevsky is a weird a weird one because because what he wrote was so complex, structurally, philosophically, religiously, people have this idea that, oh, his language must have been very complex. Compared to some other writers of the time, it's not actually that bad. It's not actually that bad. Um, you know, it, it's not, um, for example, Chekhov, maybe you disagree with me, but for, for me, Chekhov was always one of those guys who just, his, the, the, the vocabulary he uses, much more difficult to penetrate for mm -hmm. someone who speaks Russian as a foreign language. Uh, but for me, I always found Dostoevsky put up a lot less resistance linguistically than some other authors. Um, and especially when, like, even, um, oh, I've gone blank. What's the guy, the uh, detective novelist, um, Akuyan, is that the guy? Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. Like, even he, I found more difficult to read than Dostoevsky. Because uh -huh. he's trying deliberately to write in a kind of oldy-woldy 19th century way. Do you know what I mean? Uh -huh, and uh -huh. and when, when he's trying to do that, it becomes, it's like an artificial sort of layer of complexity, which, you know, when you're reading genuine 19th century texts, isn't there. Um, and that's the first thing. The second thing is that very, like nine times out of 10, if you are reading a 19th century book and you come up against a word which you don't know, 
nine times out of 10, it is simply an old fashioned word for describing a simple thing. You know, uh -huh. if, I, if I read this, you know, this, the sentence, you know, the, um, the gentleman were walking around the park, um, you know, wearing uh -huh. these, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I don't even need to stop reading. I can just say, okay, that must be some sort of 19th century clothing. Move yeah, on. Yeah, died out, yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Unfortunately, may maybe we should bring it back. Maybe we should bring it back. 19th century fashion, what do we think? Um, no, no, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think we need it, yeah. <laughs> maybe but, for well, gentlemen. Well, I mean, the, um, those kind of, well, it's not the same as tuxedo, right? But it's, well, it, it, it's still there. I mean, people who, who are on, on stage, you know, and the, the pianists. Uh, the, the, yeah, um, we what yeah, would call so it in English. Kind of, um, we would call that uh, a morning jacket, I believe, in English. Jacket. Or okay. a tailcoat, maybe tailcoat. There we go. That's like okay. a, at a wedding, for example, at a, a, yeah. a traditional yeah. English wedding, you'd wear the groom would wear a tailcoat. Yeah. God, weddings. That's a thing of the past. I don't remember the last wedding I went to. <laughs> years ago. A couple of years ago. Are you allowed to have weddings now in Russia? I mean, because of Corona. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, a student of mine, she um, she got married two weeks. Well, actually, they were both students of mine. Um, so then um, they, they got married two weeks ago. And um, she was complaining uh, that um, they had sent the invitations to some of the relatives. Um, so, so that they, they, they have in the ceremony in St. Petersburg. But um, most of the relatives are in Perm. So, and uh, they, they sent the invitations, you know, hoping that nobody would come because, well, you know, the corona and everything. But um, again, to their astonishment, so then all the relatives confirmed their intention, you know, to come to the, uh, to the wedding. And they, um, you know, they were kind of into mind because, uh, well, on the one hand, they were happy. On the other hand, you know, extra expenses and everything. Um, and um, I, was, I was thinking about that and uh, I said, yeah, just, you know, people are um, thirsty for, for this kind of um, event, yeah, because uh, this is the, you know, something glorifying life, yeah, and now when you attend um, funerals more often than weddings, yeah, and uh, um, I've attended one this week, uh, also my, my student, and um, yeah, I feel... A funeral feel or wedding? Um, a funeral, sadly. Um, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, but um, I mean, yeah, the, we, we, we just need that because this is, uh, yeah, for, for the sake of glorifying life. Yeah, and mm. uh, I think that's, uh, that's why uh, a lot of people who would have said no, maybe to, to this invitation before. So then after this, this, this year, they, they just said yes, and they bought tickets and they, they came. And um, so yeah that, mm. that that required you know and the expenses and time and everything but uh, they were ready to do that maybe not even for the sake of the the groom and the bride but uh, for their own sake yeah, just to remind themselves of what life really is mm. and, yeah. yeah yeah you um and, and getting back to what we were saying earlier about you know like um i like your phrase like a celebration of life and like a rite of passage as as the christians call it mm -hmm. um and i think there's you know and that again that's a cultural universal there's there there are very few cultures that we know of where birth naming of children um marriage and death are not treated as sacred rites of passage i mean there there's uh, and it's very self-explanatory as to why that is 
I, I did a, um, a speaking club lesson recently on death and funerals. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some might say kind of a morbid, kind of a pessimistic topic, but um, I don't know. I don't think that's a valid argument. Um, just because something's morbid and related to death does not mean at all that you shouldn't discuss it. Quite the opposite, I would say. Exactly. Exactly. You should definitely discuss it. And um, moreover, I don't think that it's necessarily sad because, uh, well, mm, not 100%, yeah, because you know what the, the, all the funerals uh, end with, yeah, so then they end with uh, people exchanging their telephone numbers, people giving promises to visit one another, um, you know, striking conversations with the strangers that end up having a relationship, and well, what is it if it's not the celebration of life? Yeah, so mm -hmm. then that's uh, the, the person who passes away and, um, but it is sad, it, it, is, it is traumatic for, for all of us, but at the same time, um, this event brings together people again who would have never known each other probably. Mm. Yeah, and uh, yeah. The, this, this is life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This is, this, is, this, is, this is the beauty of it, yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think being able to help each other through that kind of event is, um, is super important. Super yeah. important. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I try to do it by my sort of usual way of joking around. I, I try to make inappropriate jokes at funerals. <laughs> um, I I, th this happened once, actually. This is... It's, um, this is a disturbing thing someone said to me once. I've never talked about this in a podcast. So this is when, um, when, um, when my old man, my, my father passed away in 2017. And I was still working in Russia at that time. I was in Tumen. Mm -hmm. um, and he died in February. And then uh, uh, when the funeral was due to be held, um, it was going to be our school holiday. So we have like a, you know, a 30 hour, 30 academic hours in a term. So it's mm -hmm. like two months and then a standard, you know, English school timetable. And then one week um, when we have a holiday. Mm -hmm. And by pure chance, by coincidence, um, the funeral was going to be held in that holiday. Mm -hmm. um, and I was in the staff room. I was like joking around saying, hey, you know, um, uh, you know, what, what, what good timing. Well, you know, how, how lucky we are that he died um, in, you know, in time for the, for the holidays. Um, now, I had a colleague. Uh, I'm mm -hmm. not going to name her uh, because you'll, you'll see why now because of what she said to me. Um, so she, she looked at me and said, you know, Mike, I've been, I've been thinking recently. Um, you, you, you know, you English people just don't, uh, or you Westerners, you know, I don't, I don't think you have the same like connection to family that we do in Russia. Um, I don't think that, you know, it's quite the same, you know, family values that we have, you know, our Russian soul, our Russian mentality, because I would never make a joke like that about my own mother. Um, I've never forgotten that. That is one of the most hurtful things anyone has ever said to me in my life. Uh, making such such a um, crass general statement about someone when you know when you know you can you can imagine what I was going through. My dad had just died, yeah, and yeah, just yeah. you know, okay, may maybe you don't agree with me that humor is an appropriate coping mechanism um, in a time like that. Maybe you don't think that you should joke about that, um, 
I personally say none of your fucking business. Um, <laughs> it's my it's my grief. It's my trauma. I'll deal yeah, with it how yeah. I want. But to to make like I would never dare say anything you know like that about about you know Russians saying oh you Russians just don't don't respect yeah, life yeah, you, know, you know all those generalizations yeah, yeah stereotyping yeah yeah horrible horrible um, but anyway um, speaking about funerals as we did during that speaking class now I'm not I'm not um, a religious guy um, I'm I'm an atheist I, I have never believed in god and i don't to this day i i do take an interest in, in religion in the same way that i take an interest in greek mythology um mm -hmm. I think there's, some, there's some deep interesting truths to these stories it doesn't prove that jesus was the son of god in my humble opinion but whatever um now there are a lot of things that religion gets wrong in in my opinion um I don't need to list them for you. I think we all know. Um, but I would say that um, funerals is something that religion does a very, very good job of. Um, religion is very good at it. It's been doing it a long time. Yeah. Um, the yeah. fact that there's a special color you need to wear. There's a certain amount of days that you need to grieve. There's magic words you need to say. And there's a certain, you know, there's motions you go through in ceremonies. And it, it, it helps. It helps. It helps. It helps yeah. 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 Exactly. And I was thinking about that. And uh, speaking of the, that uh, student who passed away, um, you know, I was also thinking about uh, how um, how little we know about each other. Because when I asked um, uh, his colleague uh, who was helping to to arrange the funeral, and um, I asked if uh, anything is going to be held in church or anything, because I, I knew he was very religious. And um, she said, was he? Like, um, that, that, that's a surprise. And um, I was thinking, like, we've been having, so this, uh, this particular student, so then um, uh, we were having uh, classes for three years. So then I've been teaching in this, this company. Um, so then that's the, the corporate classes that, uh, that I'm doing. And um, I've been teaching there for three years. And um, you know what English classes are like? Yeah, that's, it's not just singing songs like with children, but it's, it's talking and it's talking about some yeah, very, very profound things. And um, I was thinking like, how come you didn't know the person was religious? Because, well, you know, it, it threads its way through, you know, every, in every answer, in every, um, in every topic and the way the person approaches uh, something or anything. And, um, and um, yeah, I was thinking that, um, yeah, we, we know very little, we know very little of each other. And, um, these, these stages, yeah, that um, we have prescribed, yeah, that we have to do this, we have to say this, um, that helps, first of all, yeah, to process this grief and then, yeah, to, um, to know more, mm. you know, though it's too late, but again, it's never too late. This is the paradox, you know, life and death and late and never late, yeah, and, mm. you know, this... Uh, <laughs> night and day in Yan. Um, indeed, indeed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's um. Well, the yin yang is an interesting symbol. Um, because you could look at it as night and day. You could look at it as um evil and 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 good. Um, I think a, a good way of looking at the yin yang symbol is um order and chaos. So you have the the light order, 
mm-hmm. and you have the dark chaos. But mm-hmm. the the perfect balance between order and chaos is accepting the little bit of chaos which is in the order and vice versa, accepting that there is some element of order in the chaos and, and having that balance between the two. So what do I mean by order and chaos? What's, what's order? Order is... Um, you know, order is sitting at home with the fire and, and the dog at your feet, um, which is how I spend most of my evenings. Um, it's, it's everything working as you're used to, as it's supposed to. Now, when things work as they're supposed to for a long enough time, um, you know, m- all of my four walls are standing, there's a roof above my head, my car is working, um, you know, my phone is charged, you know, all, all of the, these things, everything works as you expect it to. Um, your brain stops paying attention to them. It's like, it's like you know how, you, for example, you know how you can see your nose, mm-hmm. right? Every, you can see your nose all the time. There's, there's no place you can look where you can't see your nose. But at the same time, you don't see it because your brain, quote unquote, forgets that it's there. Your brain blocks mm-hmm. it out because it's always there. The same thing is true about order. Um, now that's why when something, when, when that sort of illusion of order mm-hmm. is broken and, and you um, metaphorically plunge into the depths of the underworld, uh-huh. um, that's why it feels so um, shocking and so you know, heart wrenching when, when something that happens, which, you know, let's be honest, isn't, isn't like earth shatteringly bad. Uh-huh. For example, uh-huh. you get a flat tire in your car. Uh-huh. I don't now you get a flat tire in your car. Can imagine. It's, it's not <laughs> the end of the world. Do you uh-huh. drive? No, no. Okay. No. Bad example then, but <laughs> take my point though. You know, you get a flat tire in your car. Let's be honest. It's not the end of the world, but it feels like it is. You're like, oh my God, how am I going to get to work? Oh my God, how am I going to pick the kids up from school? And and the reason that it is because suddenly you've seen your nose. Yeah. Suddenly you've realized that all of this order that's built up around us isn't there and doesn't exist. It's an illusion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let alone when a real tragedy happens, which it will. And if you don't think it will, you haven't been paying attention. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone you love is going to die, probably slowly. Everything you own will be lost, will turn into dust. Um, when that eventually happens, you need to be ready. You need to make sure, because you're going to take a journey to the underworld. Believe mm-hmm, me, mm-hmm. it's going to happen. Um, yeah. And at the same time, again, the, the, the paradox, you need to be ready and you're never ready and you can't possibly be ready. Yeah, that's, uh, again, so then this is this, is this uh, order and chaos, because whenever you think you're ready, you're not. Mm. And uh, you cannot possibly be. And yeah. So that that's what it is. Well, I think um, you know, you one way of maybe not making yourself ready, but one way of um, ensuring that you battle those demons in the underworld and you arise victorious. Um, metaphorically, having saved it your is, father from yeah, the belly yeah, of the whale, yeah. as uh, Jordan Peterson would put it. Um, you know, once once you you've done that. I think a good way of ensuring that you don't survive that journey is to pretend like there is no such thing as death. And so my colleague who, who made this um, hurtful comment to me, um, she was talking about her own mother 
So mm-hmm. I, I couldn't, I don't even want to think of, I couldn't even think about um, if my mother died. Oh my God, no, 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 don't even like, that. that's a super, super immature way of looking at death. This, you know, this woman was, she, she's, you know, in her late forties. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know how old her mum is, but I'm assuming she's near the end of her life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you, you can't take that attitude. You can't pretend like no one's going to die. You can't pretend like this order is going to exist forever because it, true, no, true. <laughs> it's not. Yeah, it's, yeah. You're, you're going to take a journey to the underworld mm-hmm, real mm-hmm. soon. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Do, do you think, um, do you think that talking about death and, and traumatic experiences is an appropriate topic of discussion for the classroom or is it too traumatic we're getting onto parsnips territory now um i like the way you put that that um it's a very immature way of um looking at it if you say that yeah it it doesn't exist so i think that um it's uh, it is appropriate it is appropriate to to talk about that though you well of course you you have to be to be to be very sensitive to how far you can go yeah and um, this is the, the joy and the, the, the problem of the English teacher that, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, too much about your students that, uh, you're too close and, uh, well, possibly yeah, it, it wouldn't be appropriate if you know that, um, someone's, uh, parent, yeah, or close relative just passed away, you know, a week ago. So maybe it's too soon. Yeah. And, um, so maybe I would even ask the person so then if they if they would like to to have this uh, conversation or they would avoid it um, because again you, you never know so then whether it will hurt or will help yeah but um, in general yeah I think I think we have to talk about that moreover I think that it's basically the only thing we have to talk about because um, you know this notion of presentism that uh, all we hear on the news, all we see on the news, um, which they portray to be important in 99% of cases, it is not. What's presentism? What does that mean? Well, I mean, making present, um, mm, you know, uh, attaching this importance to to what is present. Like, uh, if if it's present, so it is important. It's Mm -hmm. it's not, not always true. And in most cases, it's not true. And um, because uh, the, 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 this issue, so then this chaos and, uh, and order, this life and death thing, so then th- this is what we have to talk about, <laughs> basically, all, most of the time. But um, what we think is important um, is um, not, not, not always, um, it, it does not always matter. That's very true. There, there are a lot of things that, which I think are terribly important, like uh, poetic meter and, and the novel <laughs> disaster and all of my favorite topics, but uh, no one really cares about them very much. So uh, yeah, well, yeah. that's why I made my own English speaking club. You don't like my topics, go make your own club. <laughs> exactly, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, going back to what you said earlier about sometimes we know our students too well, even, or not, not too well, but we, we know them. I, 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 you know, I have a, a, clo- a closer personal connection to some of my students than I do to a lot of my friends. Mm-hmm, That's no mm-hmm. joke. And, yeah. and, and I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying the two categories are mutually exclusive. I, you know, I consider many of my students to be my dear, dear friends. Um, so I don't mean that at all. But so my, my speaking clubs last for two hours with a 10 minute coffee break, but let's call it two hours. Uh, and there are two classes a week. Some students come to every class without fail. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there are 52 weeks in a year. Um, I took about two week holiday for Christmas. So let's call it 50, 50 weeks. It's 50 study weeks in the year multiplied by four hours. That's 200 hours, 200 hours yeah. a year that I've spent with um, some of my students discussing deep, deep yeah. philosophical questions yeah. sometimes not sometimes talking about nonsense and sometimes joking and uh, uh, you know as i always say gathering around the campfire that's why i called the club campfire mm-hmm. um and uh, yeah i don't know where i'd be without that it's extremely important to me and i would argue important to um important to everyone basic human connection speaking conversation deep deep uh, Human connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I was I was thinking about that um, all, all, all this week, of course, because um, yeah, I was comparing uh, comparing that um, and uh, comparing the uh, relationship that I have with my students with the those that I have with my friends. And um, uh, I I don't mean to to offend anyone, but um, you know, really, most of the time we spend with friends, it's just you know, chatting about nothing, um, you know, well, you know, yeah, you're catching up on the usual stuff and uh, um, you, you tell some jokes and uh, you, um, you know, just goof around. But yeah, I mean, the, the important stuff, so then the, the, the stuff that we, we've just touched on, um, it's, it's not always there and not, not in every conversation. Again, something really uh, traumatic, something really impactful has to happen to, to bring this up, yeah. But uh, in our classes, yeah, we, we get to um, to such topics, well, not, not life and death necessarily, but, you know, religion, political system, friendship, again, and breakups, yeah, and mm-hmm. the importance of diet, the importance of, you know, looking after your health. That's that's always there, yeah. Every every lesson is yeah dedicated to to something very profound, yeah. Mm-hmm. If, yeah. yeah if you, if you multiply that and you have two hundred, you know, hours of well, not two hundred again, but at least part of it, yeah, dedicated to something very very important. So and how many <laughs> how many hours have you spent with your friends talk, talking about that? Very yeah. true, very true. Especially at the moment when I can't can't meet up with my friends. Um, not allowed, um, even outside. Oh, yeah. This uh, we're we're gonna have a civil war soon if this lockdown doesn't end. Um, but uh, the, what... the advantage of having a, a dog again, yeah. So then that's you, you. You have to you have to go out. Well, and the advantage of living not in a town. Not that I would want to live in a town anyway. But um, yeah, that I, I just go out whenever I want. I don't I don't pay attention to these rules. I lived in Russia too long. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, Bordia has come out and said that um, I think in June the lockdown's going to end. As it, so it's going to be like step by step. So like um, next uh, tomorrow, actually tomorrow, schools are going to open again, which is good for me because I work with schools. Um, you know, and then a couple of weeks after that, there's going to be outside pubs and non-essential shops, and then just you know different stuff like bowling alleys and God knows what. And mm-hmm. then the last stage is nightclubs can open. Um, which I'm not a fan of. So, um, you know, go go ahead and go and get Corona and whatever, I don't know, chlamydia or whatever you get in a nightclub. And then, uh, and yeah. then all legal restrictions hopefully should end in June. Okay. Um, okay. Yes, we, we will see. We will see. I don't know. I, um, I think in, in Russia, like they, they did like a kind of a lockdown. 
kind of sort of locked down but yeah mm-hmm, I, mean, mm-hmm. I think i think even the russian government understood that you know russians they just they just wouldn't do it they just won't do it uh it's not going to happen don't even try um yeah, yeah yeah well it worked for i think for the first week yeah so then when yeah the majority of people they were really scared yeah and mm. um so the, the the first week i think that was true you know maybe you've seen those pictures of you know empty streets yeah, and empty squares like the red square you know with no people at all yeah and uh well it uh, i think it, it did work but um yeah but again you, you cannot be scared for too long yeah and the, this is uh um, opposed to you know human nature so then you have to be you have to be happy you have to be optimistic and so then this order wins <laughs> over chaos eventually yeah hey, hey. Hey, hey. yes absolutely well that's very nice very nice i uh, yeah i completely agree it reminds me of um the empty streets that reminds me actually talking about my dad again that's when he came to visit me once when i was living in st petersburg as, as a mm-hmm. student uh, and we went one day, we got the train overnight and we went to visit Moscow. And that was that, you remember in, now when would this have been, 2012? When Putin got elected, <laughs> which I don't know, what was that, the third time, fourth time, seventh time? Yeah, I don't know. no, no, one, um, no one knows. <laughs> at, yeah, I know, whichever time it was. Um, so he'd just been elected and his inauguration was due to take place. That, and okay. I don't know if you remember in 2011, but there was, you know, similar to what we've seen recently because of all of the uh, Navalny unpleasantness. Um, there were lots uh-huh. of, you know, pro-democracy protests in uh-huh. 2011, 2012. And did, when we were in Moscow, by a stroke of bad luck, this was in May when Putin was being, was going through his inauguration uh-huh. in, in the Kremlin. And so, you know, what else is there to do in Moscow apart from, you know, go and see the Red Square? That's like the main thing that you want to go right, and see. Right. And there was this, this the huge impenetrable ring of Amon around the Red Square. And so I, I just went up to them. They weren't like being threatening or anything. They were just, you know, perfectly, you know, just standing there pers- uh-huh, perfectly peacefully. Uh-huh. And I went up to them and said, excuse me, uh, you know, officer, um, you know, do you know when the, um, when the Red Square is going to be open? And he just, he just looked at me and said, no. Never. <laughs> what was he said? The city's closed. Like <laughs> you can't imagine. Uh, yeah, um, the, the 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 London guards with the with the big hats uh, saying anything like that. Sorry, the city's closed. Go away. Um, but there we go. There we go. That's uh, that's how Moscow goes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, dear, mate. I I prefer Petersburg myself. I don't know about you. I'm 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 more of a Petersburg guy than a Moscow guy. I'm guessing you are as well because you live there, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I, I do love Moscow. I do love it. And uh, it has, well, um, I've never spent maybe too long. Well, I think the, the maximum was one month um, that I spent in Moscow. And uh, I think that was, by the way, 2011. Yeah. And it was June 2011 when I was um, trying to work on my thesis. So I, I never, never finished that, uh, the, the dissertation that I was trying to do. But um, anyway, I spent a month going to, you know, different libraries and uh, reading up and copying and uh, trying to, to find some inspiration to, to finish the, the work that I started. Um, but I loved, I loved this month in Moscow and um, I have very warm memories and... Um, yeah, Mo- Moscow is great. It's different, great. but... Yeah, but in its own way, it's it's very charming. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, Moscow's great. Don't get me wrong, but it's uh, it suffers from um, the same um, 
the same downfalls that any capital city or any big metropolis does. Um, mainly the people. <laughs> Love the city, hate the people. That's what I say. I don't want to offend any Moscow people listening. Um, but yeah, it's it's not it's not any one individual person. Of course, I'm joking. But it's the the as soon as people get in a big enough group. That's mm-hmm. George Carlin, the famous stand-up, had a, had a line about that. He said, I love people. I love individual people. Anytime people get into groups of about three or more, though, no thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, and that, that's yeah. so true. Like, that, you know, when, when you get like these big crowds of people all the time, it just becomes so impersonal. And, um, yeah, it's not, not for me. Um, as, as, of course, you know, I'm, I'm um, not a fan of cities in general. I'm, I'm much more of a, a country guy. So, yeah. Uh, yeah mm-hmm, speaking mm-hmm. of which i'm uh, i'm gonna go take my dog for a walk around uh, the lovely open fields of the cotswolds in uh, in just a minute so uh, we've been going for about an hour as it happens so uh why don't we uh why don't we wrap it up and um once again um you don't know what the name of the group is but we will know by the time we publish this podcast yeah. so I'll, <laughs> I'll put a little link in there and if people want to work on their writing then um by, by all means go and uh, check out uh maria's page because uh She's got some got some stuff uh, being planned right now. Okay, thanks very much for coming on the show, then Maria, thank and uh, hope to see you yeah, again. Yeah, thank you so much. Okay. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Have a good day. You too. Bye bye now. Mm-hmm.